0: big picture. What is security's influence in the corporate sphere? And what can we all do to increase it? Welcome to a bonus episode of the Security Management Highlights podcast from ASIS International. Every month we focus on the trends and topics the world needs to know about your world of keeping information and people safe and secure. I'm your host, Brendan Howard, and in today's special bonus episode, we're talking about a report from the ASIS Foundation titled, The Influence of Security Risk Management, Understanding Security's Corporate Sphere of Risk Influence. The report explores what professional barriers meet security professionals in their organizations, and how to get over those barriers. So some of the fixes are individual, And some of the fixes are big picture for associations and the industry to tackle together. Our guests today co-wrote the report, and they both hail from Edith Cowan University in Perth, Western Australia. Michael Kuhl is a senior lecturer and member of the university's Security Research Institute, and Nicola Lockhart is a teacher and PhD candidate there. And before we get into this big conversation with big ideas, I need to mention that this episode is brought to you by the ASIS Foundation. The ASIS Foundation helps security professionals achieve their career goals with certification scholarships, practical research, member hardship grants, and more. You can download a copy of this new report at asisfoundation.org. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Michael explains the core case study that matched up with new data in the report. It was another example of good security recommendations ignored. So the question is
1: why? The case study we chose for this, the Inominus gas plant heist, it's a really good case study, and I think all security managers should review it, especially since um, there's been a lot of stuff written in the media about it. There's a lot of information available through open source where all the forewarning was there. The security team, based on the evidence that we reviewed, were given the advice to senior management about a lack of security, the requirements to enhance the protective security arrangements, and nothing was done and that resulted in a significant terrorist attack. Now, the case study specifically is, uh, I think that was in 2013, so it's a little bit dated, but it's a really good example of security not having the business decision-making influence. But it's not just that as well. If you look across Antwerp Diamond Heist, the Hatton Garden Heist in the UK, you know, an, an old heist we looked at was the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum Heist in the United States, All of these events keep occurring in terms of significant uh, losses. I think a couple of years ago, the Dresden green room diamond heist is about $1.2 billion in under five minutes. So if we know our trade so well, why are all these events occurring? So there's two things. We either don't know our trade or we don't have the influence to be able to put in or implement the security that we think is necessary. So that was the sort of genesis thinking of the project.
2: The really important thing with what we did with this project is that we, we took a bit of a three-phase approach and we looked at the literature and tried to figure out what uh, security risk management should be uh, then we looked at what actually was going on in the in the current risk management standards so what it actually really what we should be doing as security risk management professionals and then what we did was we actually laid that at the feet of 25 or um, executives and professionals who are in the world of security whether as uh, decision-making executives or security managers or risk managers um and we asked them okay well this is what it could be this is what it should be uh what actually is it and what we found was we found that there was a serious disconnect between those three elements.
1: When we look at security risk, the hard fact is security is not the decision maker. A lot of security people believe they had more influence than they did. In fact, when we did the rating scores of, you know, uh, on a Likert scale, rate your degree of influence, the initial ratings were quite high. And then people straight away said, oh, but I've got no influence. And, same, and, and as Nicola say, well, hang on a sec, you rated yourself up here. Um, they said, well, in hindsight, no, I don't have that degree of influence. And that was interesting because one of the things that came out of this, and I think part of the problem with this project is, is again, we looked at it thematically. So there's a lot of outliers. So this isn't about the individual cases. It's about the themes across the sector is that security seen as an operational risk And they struggle to communicate this potential strategic impact from that operational risk in business terms. So one of the comments is it's not the board's role to interpret security. It's security's role to provide the board with that business impact analysis, that cost-benefit analysis, where security is not the decision maker. It always reports to a general manager and general managers, according to the business literature, have more influence than technical managers. So security being part of this, this techno structure, it's a technical expertise role, it'll automatically have less influence. One of the key findings is you see in business impact analysis is that if there's a lack of familiarity and there's a high dread rating around that the concern, it'll get more attention. So, for example, cyber security is getting a lot of attention by boards because there's a high dread factor and because it's seen as a technical discipline, there's a low familiarity or understanding of it. Whereas in traditional corporate security, everybody thinks they know security. So that dread factor is not there. There's a high familiarity factor. And they think that that risk is managed by these lower tier operational controls.
0: There were four recommendations that presented kind of nine barriers, and they sort of whittled down to four recommendations. But the recommendations were kind of big. And so I thought, well, maybe we could start from that other side about perception of security certification, perception of how they fit in operations. The last recommendation, embracing formal registries. And I thought, could you get specific? What do you mean by that? Are these individuals participating more in these registries, um, publicizing these registries to their manager level bosses, or is it the work of associations about publicizing these things?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's the role of larger associations where you do have registered security professionals. I mean, ASIS do a great job in in what they have done globally in terms of advancing security education, advancing professionalism, et cetera. But what we haven't seen is we haven't seen the recognition such as a a CPA. If you're an accountant, everyone understands and respects that you're a CPA. You know, if you're a a lawyer and you're, you're registered to practice, people respect that straight away. In the UK, I know they've started a security professionals registry. In Australia, we had an attempt that it hasn't really worked out. But I think until we get some sort of registrative process where business people have the confidence that um, we do know what we're talking about and you know we do technical training very, very well, but somehow we're losing the translation of that in terms of as a sector, and it's come up in other projects before, but this one it really resonates that security lacks professional respect, and unfortunately we you know we haven't been able to drill too far down into that because that in itself is a, a is a research project. But the idea of professional registries, you know, if you look at why do we have registered professions, so psychologists have to be registered, accountants etc., and it's about public trust, it's about public confidence um, that at least you sit at that minimum skill level, whereas we have people in security who uh, in the australian framework will have a certificate for or um, in in the american framework you may have some sort of certification up to people with bachelor's degrees master's degrees and phds there's no consistency there's no real minimum standard and i think that what came out of this project is that that's one of the barriers to respect so individuals within security are professional there's a lot of well-educated security professionals they've come out of law enforcement they've come out of the military but as a sector as a whole thematically that's not where we sit
0: more letters after the name more respect and a bigger push to professionalize security education So that's one, we couldn't give you all four recommendations in a short bonus episode of Security Management Highlights. So go read, visit ASISfoundation.org to download a copy of the full report with key findings and recommendations on leaping those security professional barriers with a single bound. Research like this is made possible by your generous donations to the ASIS Foundation please consider giving today via PayPal or online at asisfoundation.org to support future foundation research. Thank you. And hey, be safe out there.